John chapter 12, verse 44 to verse 50. Verse 44 to verse 50, as we bring this chapter to close, and really a transition in the Gospel of John, as this will be now the final time that Jesus will address the public. And the, uh, the, the, the rest of the nine chapters of the Gospel of John will all be within a matter of a few days, as Jesus, um, uh, as, as we call it, the Passion Week. And as Jesus spends time with his, his disciples. And so, John chapter 12, verse 44 to verse 50, in God's inspired and errant word, reads, um, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Father, we ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And now as we spend the next 30 minutes or so, Father, studying through it, Lord, would your spirit illuminate this text for us, not only that we know what it means, but we also know how to apply it into our life. And so, Father, we we ask, I ask for your leading, your guiding, your direction this morning. As we look at your word, pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. The final cry, the final cry. The world seems to be in a state of confusion. The plain and evident things to the, not, to the normal human being are, are now painted as not evident and not obvious at all. Your eyes are deceiving you. Your natural inclinations are deceptive and can only be given by the definition, given by the beholder. Indisputable miracles are done. Water is turned into wine. The blind see. The lame walk. The words of the prophets are fulfilled, and yet the narrative the people choose to believe tell them the obvious and the indisputable evidence before their eyes are not so. Confusion has always been a part of the world, part of every civilization since the beginning of time, because the world is under the control of darkness. The end of chapter 12 brings us to the end of Jesus' public ministry. And these final seven verses are really a summary of what has already been written, what we have already covered. The things that we'll cover in these seven chapters will ring true to you in your ears. They'll, they'll remind you of where we have been in these past 12 chapters. But they're really a summary of what has been written by the Apostle John up to this point. So it's really a, a summary chapter that we come to. And I call it the final cry because it's as Jesus' final time, if you will, that he cries out to the public and follow him, look to him, believe, believe in him. And so, so for clarity, Jesus sums up his public ministry by first 
I'll have four headings or four points for you this morning. And and first, he sums up his, his public ministry by speaking of his relationship to the Father. And then speaking of his purpose for coming. Third, speaking of the danger of neglecting his teachings. And then finally, speaking of his source of authority. And so we'll start out with with point one, and and Jesus speaks of his relationship to the Father. Jesus speaks of his relationship to the Father. Starts out in verse 44, and as he starts out here in verse 44, it says, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me. This is one final time that Jesus is crying out to the people, pleading to the people to look to him. This is your your final opportunity. One more time, I stand before you and draw your attention to me. And yet, as we're going to see, Jesus doesn't say, it's not me that I want you to focus upon, but the one who sent me. You know the one who sent me. You claim to know the one whom you sent me. So now believe on on me. Believe in me. And again here, as we see in verse 44, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And so the one who believes in me isn't believing in me at all, but is actually believing in God. And so what, what we see here, we see again here the absurdity of those who say they believe in God and not in Jesus as God. Jesus here makes it clear again that he and the Father are one. There are many people who want to say, no, I believe in God. I just don't believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus as a prophet. I believe in Jesus as a good man to follow, as someone in the last of a long line of prophets, if you will, someone who lived a good moral life and somebody who modeled a life uh, that, would, that would adhere to the, the teachings of the Torah, the teachings of the Old Testament, the teachings of the Bible, uh, the teachings of God more so than anyone else. But yet he's not God. And so here we see that Jesus shows the absurdity of that type of thinking. In fact, in John chapter 14, which we'll get there, huh, now I can say next year. I'm looking forward to next year, huh? Uh, I think so. No, my mom always said, don't wish my life away, so I don't want to do that. But uh, anyways, back on track. <laughs> A couple of weeks from now, we'll look at John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, in verse 8, Philip. Um, and, y- you know, the disciples are interesting characters, are they not? Sometimes we, we hear from Peter, and, and Peter we think as, as some guy who, who constantly, he acted in any thought. And I like Peter because that's often me also, as, as many of you are already aware of. You act and I act, and then, then I think I should have thought that through a little bit. Uh, but that's Peter. And then we've got Thomas, and Thomas is labeled as someone who doubts. And here we've got Peter, uh, or Philip, and I like Philip. We don't hear much about Philip, but I like Philip's response here. And again, these guys are just realists, right? And Philip says to Jesus, Lord, <laughs> Just, just, just show us the Father. You keep saying you and the Father are one. Just show us the Father, and it is enough for us, Jesus. You keep talking about this, and we're trying to believe you. We're trying to follow you. But if you would just show us the Father, it is enough for us. I mean, I love the realism of Philip, don't you? And I think we can take a, uh, have a little takeaway from the disciples as we, we come across them as we read through the gospel, right? And we come across them, and, and they were just very real with Jesus, very real with God. And, you know, sometimes I think that we can be a little hesitant um, to cry out to God and just to speak what's on our... And he can read our minds anyways. 
I mean, just to verbalize what's on my mind. You know, God, Jesus, just, just show me the Father. Whatever it is maybe that you're wrestling a battle with, I mean, just give it to God. Just be real about it, right? So the disciples were, and we should too. And so, so Peter, uh, uh, Philip says, just show us the Father. And Jesus responds to, to Philip and said to him, have I been with you, verse 9, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Show us the Father. You know, Jesus again here reiterates, and once again he says, him and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Again, I'll place it before you this morning, the absurdity of those who want to claim to be followers of God and yet deniers of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is very clear about that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. I mean, I mean, we're right there with Philip, right? How can we get our minds wrapped around this idea? And maybe we can a little easier from, from the disciples because here they were physically with Jesus, and Jesus is saying basically, hey, I'm God. Huh, really? Really, especially his brothers and sisters. Could you imagine that? You know, but, but we're somewhat removed from that, of course, physically from, from Jesus, but he's here with us in spirit. And so, so as we think about Jesus and God, maybe it's a bit easier for us. But, but, but I, you know, not 100% sure that it is. But, but here Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he's saying, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And maybe Hebrews chapter 1 says it even, even better in the 13th verse, where it says this, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his God's glory in the exact, the exact representation. It's one word in the Greek, but, but translated in the English is those three words, the exact representation of his, of God's nature. And the exact representation comes from the Hebrew, or from the Greek word that, that talks about mark. It's, it's a mark or, or it's a stamp, something like, like that. And it should give us the impression, especially that's what they would have understood it as, as like a signet ring. As like emperors and kings, they would have had a special ring uh, that they, they would have the seal that they, they would give. And, and if you've seen that seal, you knew that it came from a place, place of, of, of authority and that the, sing, or the, that the seal, that the mark, that the stamp came from the holder of, of that ring. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am, not, not Jesus and God are, are not one and the same, right? So that can be hard to get our, our, our minds around, but Jesus is the exact representation. If you've seen me, Jesus is saying, I am the seal, I am the stamp, I am the mark of the Father. And so we know God through Jesus. We know God through Jesus. Without Jesus, we would not know God. We know the heart of God by seeing and observing and reading the words of Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says this to the church there in Rome. He says, For since the creation of the world, His, God's, invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature. These are the, the two invisible attributes that he's drawing to our attention here in Romans. He says his, his, his eternal power and his, 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 his divine nature have been clearly seen. And so, so God speaks of Himself 
in Scripture, right? God speaks of himself in Scripture. God reveals himself through Jesus, right? So God speaks of himself in the Scriptures, and God reveals himself through Jesus. So we know God through Jesus. We can learn of Jesus, know of God through reading his Scriptures. So again, if the Bible is not true, I always find myself on this point because it's a battle, especially for today in the time of confusion. If the Bible is not true, if the Bible is not the inerrant and inspired word of God, then we don't know God at all. We don't know God at all. Jesus is not deity. And we have no idea what God is like. We have no idea what God is like. So we know God through his word. We know what God is like through the actions, through the model of Jesus. So, two. Second heading I want to put before you is found in verse 6. Jesus speaks of his purpose for coming. Jesus speaks of his purpose for coming in verse 46. Um, I have come. I mean, it's quite clear, right? I mean, I have come as light into the world. And there's my little favorite connecting word, so that is telling us exactly why he just got done saying what he said. I have come into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Everyone who, who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus says, I have come as light. John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 9, verse 5. Two different places we've already covered. Again, this is a theme that we've already covered in the past two different times when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I don't remember which commentary it was, but this comes from, from one of them that I had read, and I thought it was kind of neat, the analogy that was being drawn uh, between the sun, the S-U-N, and, and Jesus himself, and, and it was kind of drawn that analogy with light, and it had, had three points of observation that I, I thought might be helpful for you this morning. I kind of found it interesting, but one is that Christ existed before his incarnation. So Jesus existed before his incarnation, even as the sun exists before it ever appears on the horizon. Right? Interesting. And, and two, uh, Christ is the one savior of the world, even as there is only one sun. And the third point but the third analogy or comparison that was being made is that Christ came not for one nation, but for all, even as the one sun shines on all the world. And I thought that was kind of good. I kind of like those, those two. So, so Jesus existed before the sun ever appears on the horizon. And Jesus is one Savior of the world, even as there is only one sun. And Jesus shines on, on everyone, even as there is only one sun who shines, shines on the whole world. And I was reminded also then of, of Genesis chapter, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 in verse 2 and 3 says, The earth was formless. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep or the, the surface of, of the land of the waters, if you're a King Jameser, surface of the waters. And then God said, God spoke. Debar is the Hebrew word. God spoke it into existence. There's no really way to, to describe it other than, than they spoke it into existence. Let there be light. And there was light. The very first act of creation 
was bringing dark, a light to a dark, dark world. And Jesus says, believe in me and you will not remain in darkness. You don't believe in me. The converse could also be said right in the negative. If you don't believe in me, you will remain. You will remain in darkness. Well, anyways, that's just another reminder of what we've already covered when Jesus uh, says that I am the light. I shine into to the dark, dark world. Third, Jesus speaks of the danger of neglect. Jesus speaks of the danger of neglect. And again here, Jesus gives us a, a, a warning. And it can be thought of it as negative, but really it's positive. Um, but, but Jesus speaks of his neglect. In verse 47, he says this. Well, let me read 46 again. I have come as light into the world so that anyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Verse 47, if anyone, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. It's crino. It's just it, 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 the word for judge. It's just, it's just you made a decision. You judge. You crino. You did the decision this morning. Am I going to wear a blue shirt? I was thinking about wearing like a purple one. I ended up wearing with this one. But I guess that's maybe too much information. But, but nonetheless, I, I made a judgment decision, right? All by myself. My wife didn't even tell me what to wear. So, so anyways, that, 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 silly, but, but that gives you an idea. It's, it's just a simple, simple way. So Jesus says, I didn't come. I didn't come. Sometimes we think of judges as, as, as a condemnation, right? It's not we make judgment decisions. We just make, we, we discern. We make choices. It's the word that's being used here to try to give you a sense in our, in our English language how, how we are to understand this. All right? And so Jesus says, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I, I do not judge him. I don't, I don't choose him. I, I don't decipher him. I, I don't condemn. Certainly can apply there. I, I don't condemn. I don't, I, I, it's not me. It's not, not, not what I've come for, right? For I did not come to judge the world, right? I didn't come to make any decisions. I didn't come to decide. I didn't come to sit on the courts. Could also be thought of a, on that another sense of the word. It would be a different word, but nonetheless, but another sense of the word that, that somebody who sits on the courts and, and hears a case. He says, I didn't come to do that. No, why did he come? But to save the world. That's why, that's why he came. He says, I didn't come to judge, but to save. And he says, if anyone hears my sayings, it does not keep them. Does not keep them. So hearing does not equal knowing. Or hearing does not equal believing. It's what Jesus is saying. Look, look you can hear my words. You, you heard them. But if you don't keep them, I'm not judge you for it. No, not, not at all. Not at all. And, and I do want to, to I, I can't help but take advantage of or, or put before you the season that we're in when we think of Jesus coming into the world, right? And, and, and Lola, I, I, I agree with you. That song, we got to sing it next Sunday, whoever's up. Mary, did you know? It's a beautiful song. How could have she known? It's a beautiful song. But, but, but the angel told, told them, told Mary and Joseph this. They said, Joseph, son of David in Matthew chapter 1. Son of David. See, the first advent of Jesus was not for judgment, for salvation. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so Jesus didn't come at first for judgment, but for salvation, just exactly what they're saying here. And this is exactly what the angels told the parents of Jesus. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. No, 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 she didn't have an affair. No, no, she didn't, no, no, none of that. I know you can't understand this stuff, but, but no, no, don't be afraid to take her as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her 
is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and she shall call his name Jesus. For what? For he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. He came as light into the world. He came as to save us, to save his people from their sins. And again, to build upon that for just a little bit, I want to I want to go back to John chapter three, also where we've been before. All these themes we've covered before, but in John chapter three, verse seventeen. But but maybe I'll just have to go to John three sixteen, uh, because we all know it. Everybody knows it, and everybody likes to quote it back to us. Also, um, but for God so loved the world, what? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But listen what comes after. See, we got to keep context as everything, right? So, so afterwards, after that, it says, for guards connecting. It's just further describing of what has come before it. So now verse 17 is going to describe what, what, what verse 16 is saying. For God so loved the world. I'm sorry, that's 16. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. See, here we go again, right? God didn't send his son in the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus didn't come in the manger. Jesus didn't come at that first advent to judge you and I, but to save you and I. Let's continue on. But, the, but that the world might be saved through him, he who believes in him. Right? He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Well, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? For, for their deeds were evil. For their deeds were evil. See, see, so, so we look at verse 19. So, so we got the beautiful verse of John 3, 16. So God sends his son because he loves us so much. He sends his son in the world, not to judge us, but, but to save us. And what, what, what John here, what the writer, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what he says to us, but we, but men, love darkness rather than light, for our deeds were evil. They made their choice. We have a choice to make. Will we choose the light or will we continue to stay in darkness? See, our default position is darkness. Just as the beginning of the world, it's darkness. Will we choose to stay in the darkness? Or will we choose to walk into the light? We choose to walk into the light. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. Right As the people said, before they had kings, and they seen all the people of the land, and they said, you know, Samuel, we, why, why, don't, why don't we just have to listen to you? We want, we don't want to just listen to Yahweh. We, we want a king just like all the other peoples of the land. And Samuel comes to God with this, and, and God says to Samuel, listen. Listen to the voice of the people in regard. Just give them what they want. Give them what they want, for they have not rejected you, but they had rejected me from being king over them. God said, give them what they want. He didn't force it upon them. Give them what they want. With their choice to remain in darkness, with their choice to deny Yahweh as king, it didn't go the well for them, did it? That is still the case today. God isn't going to force himself upon us. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. 
But you might say, as or heard said or hearsay, but I'm not a bad person, right? I, I mean, I feed the poor. I clothe the naked. I put a roof over the, the homeless. That's nice. Could also be said of an atheist, right? Could also be said of a, of a humanist, right? You cannot have God or have Jesus on my own terms, on, on, on your own terms, right? See, see, this is the social gospel, right? This is social justice that we hear so much about. It's about feeding the poor, clothing the naked, housing the homeless. All that needs done. But that is not the gospel. That is a result of the gospel. But that is not, not the gospel. A person does not need to attack Jesus or rage out against Jesus to simply deny Jesus. All the person has to do is just to reject Jesus as Lord, reject Jesus as God. It could be the best person in the world by, by moral terms, by human definition. It's not what this is about, is it? It's about believing in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. See, what Jesus is saying, whoever hears my word has that word as either Savior or, or, or judge, once you hear that word, you cannot unhear it. I mean, there's sometimes I hear some things I'd prefer to unhear, right? I mean, Cheryl and I, I certainly won't put them in your ears, but Cheryl and I, or I like to freak out the girls when they were little. I'm not even going to go down that road, but there's certain things you just don't, you want to unhear, right? And you can't do that. See, once the word of God is before us, we can't just like unhear it. It will now be our Savior, or it will be our, our judge. See, in the last day, judging the condemnation sense of the word judge now, in the last day, the judgment will be that the word of salvation came to that person, and that person rejected it. See, Jesus came to save. Will you accept or will you reject? You hear many people say, I'm sure, also as I do, well, a good God doesn't send anyone to hell. I mean, they're 100% right. A good God doesn't send anybody to hell. That's why he sent Jesus to save us from our sins. Do we accept or do we eject? reject? The word that we have been given will either save us or it will, will condemn us. Well, and lastly here, um, Four in verse 49 and 50, Jesus speaks of his authority, his source of authority. Jesus, where do you come off talking like that, right? Where, where do you get, get your authority, right? I mean, as I tell you often, Acts 17, 11, which I quote to you, probably not as enough as I should, for these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Well, why were they more noble than those in Thessalonica? Because they took the word, the word that Paul was speaking, was preaching to them, and what did they do with that word? They took it home, and they studied the scriptures to see if this was so, right? So, so you can't take my word for anything either, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. My source of authority doesn't come from within myself, verse 49. We look at verse 49, it says, my source, is, I don't speak on my own initiative. Look, look don't, be, don't, don't be mistaken. Don't be, don't be silly. I'm not speaking on my own behalf, in essence, is what Jesus is saying. Of course, my loose interpretation of it. But the Father himself who sent me 
gave me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Jesus is just, look, look, I'm just a parrot, right? I, I just repeat what I've been told from the Father. That's who I, who I get this from. In fact, the people were told, again, talking to people who were very familiar with the Scriptures. I mean, we call it the Old Testament, but it was anything but old. It was their Bible, and it still is. Still is our Bible. They, they knew it inside and out. Deuteronomy chapter 18, 18, when, when God had said that I will raise up for you a prophet among your countrymen like you. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. They, they knew there was such a person coming along over and over and over again. Jesus is pointing to the proofs of his deity that we, it, it kind of gets missed upon us today in 2020, but it certainly did not get missed upon them when Jesus is saying, look, look, I don't speak on my own behalf. I don't speak on my own initiative. This is who I am. Jesus doesn't speak on his own behalf. He's speaking on behalf, behalf of the Father. Right? That, that's, all, that's all that he is doing. But they didn't like what he had to say. Right? Didn't fit their narrative. Didn't fit their lifestyle. Didn't fit their culture. Didn't fit what they wanted to believe. It crimped their lifestyle, if you will. Right? <laughs> we still have it today. My mind was drawn to, to um, the Second Timothy chapter 4. Where Paul tells Timothy, his protege, as he's handing off the church to, to Timothy, and he tells Timothy, preach the word, right? Preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word. Don't, don't give me this nonsense about five ways to a happy life or whatever you want to come up with, a nice inspirational talk. There's a place for that, but not from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. Preach the word. And he goes on. Why? God. Again, this is why, Timothy, Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away and have their ears, turn away their ears from the truth. I believe this time has come. A time of confusion. We, we gather leaders. We, we follow our favorite PhDs, those out there, the smart people, right? To don't take anything away from, from those who, who are very smart. I wish I was one, <laughs> right? But we gather these people around us, those who want to tickle our those who want to... You know, we search Google. Okay, Google, this is what I want to know. Google is our teacher today, right? And we find something on the Internet, and as long as it lines up with what I already believe, that's what I'm, I'm going to use that as a proof. I'm going to use that as a badge. I'm going to use that as a hammer. <laughs> right? We're guilty of that. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy. And that's what Jesus was facing. But he's constantly pointing back. He said, look, I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm hearing it. I'm getting it from the Father. Go back and search your scriptures to see if these things are so. Acts 17, 11. Go back and search the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. Right? That's what he's saying. John chapter 17 is Jesus is the high priestly prayer, as we call it. Um, Jesus, as he's praying to the Father, and in verse 6, he says this. He said, look, God, as he's praying to, he says, I have manifested your name, God. I've manifested your name to men whom you gave me. I mean, you gave me these, well, whatever however we want to describe them. You know, you gave these, just these ordinary people out of the world. They're yours. You gave them to me. They have kept my word. As Jesus is praying to his Father, can you imagine that? As Jesus is praying to his Father on behalf of you and I, 
Can Jesus pray that on your behalf? They have kept my word. They have kept my word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I gave them, and they received them, and they truly understood, and they came forth from you, and they believed that you, that you sent me. I, I, I love that last, last verse, is they received. They received the word, they understood the word, and they believed. See, see again, it's not good enough just to know what we believe. We must understand why we believe it, right? They received the word, they understood it, and, and, and then, they, then they believed. Then they believed. Well, wrapping up this, this this morning, and as we have considered and studied through these first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John and just kind of went over some of those themes again this morning, some of the dominant themes that Jesus cried out and wanted the people to hear. But as we study through these first cha 12 chapters of the Gospel of John, we have seen in Jesus' life, His ministry, His miracles, His message, and His desire to save sinners. That was His whole goal. That was His whole desire. All of His life was focused upon saving sinners. We have considered the evidence. Have you come to believe that Jesus is the Christ? the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Have you come to believe? If you already have believed, have you had that thought, that belief shored up as we've studied through these first 12 chapters? Have you trusted in Him? He is the only way. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I leave you with verse 36 of chapter 12. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons and daughters of the light. The light isn't always available, right? I mean, as we said a couple of weeks ago, as you think about walking in darkness and then not walking, Jesus says, look, I'm only here for a little while. Sometimes we think about, about the end of the world. Sometimes we think about all those things, but every single second of every single day, somebody's light goes out. Somebody's light goes out. We have no guarantee on tomorrow. We've got no guarantee on this afternoon. Walk while you have the light. Walk equal believe. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the urgency of, of, your, of your cry out. Uh, Lord, and Lord, as we leave this place, this place of comfort, this place where we're gathered among friends in a nice, comfortable space, but you know, for the most part, I'm sure, like-minded believers. And Lord, as tomorrow morning, as Monday comes and we're thrust into often a dark world, Lord, would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? As you yourself have modeled for us, would we cry out where we can, where we may, where it's applicable, and call people, call those to believe in the light? to walk in the light as you are available for them. So I pray your blessing upon um, the reading of this word and the speaking of it, Father. Those things that uh, are from you, may they take root into our minds and into our hearts. And those that are not, Lord, would you just remove those from our memory?
I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.